You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Amen. How's everyone doing today? Doing well? Is this microphone on? Is it on? Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Is that good? (laughs) I could yell, but that's offensive, so I don't want to hurt anybody this morning. Welcome this morning. This morning we are continuing in our Summit series. And again, a big thank you to Pastor Michael and Maria for bringing all their, or I guess part of their hiking gear out this morning. So uh, if you want to learn how to mountain climb, we know who to go to. So you follow the gear. We are in week two of this series. And I invite you to take your Bibles today and open up to the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew chapter 16. But before we head into this week, this week we're focusing on the climb, but in case you weren't here last week, I thought it would be good just to kind of review a little bit about what we talked about last week. See, last week we had our team meeting. How many of you were here for the team meeting last week? Wasn't that fun? Nobody. All right. Let's go. <laughs> well, this is easy. I'll just go back and say what I said last week. But last week I had a great team meeting, so... Um, What we talked about, we talked about several things. First of all, we identified that Christianity is a team event. It's a team event, isn't it? When you look through Scripture, you see that Christianity is not this thing where people go off in solitude and they do it by themselves. It is done in the context of family, which I am so thankful for. See, we follow Christ together in community. There are times that we get away to ourselves to pray like Jesus did, but we work it out and we walk together because we are not about a drive-through fast food spirituality experience, are we? One of the things that I love is our family dinners. And when you look throughout Scripture, you see these times when the families and when Jesus' disciples, they just, they gathered together around the table and they broke bread together. Because in those environments, you talk to each other, you hear from each other, you pray from each other. But there's this trend called fast food. How many have heard about it? where you go up to a window, and you want it fast, you want it cheap, you want it right now, and if I don't get the way I want it, when I want it for the cheap price, I'm going to go on to the next window and get check out what's going on down the street. But that's not how family works, is it? Family is committed. I am committed. I am here. I want to be with you. This is our walk with God. So it's a team event. And we also uh, talked about how team is so important. Team is vitally important. It is important that we are together. Stats now back up what pastors and what spiritual leaders have known for years, that when people separate themselves from church, when people, individuals, separate themselves from the body of Christ, ultimately it ends up them being separated from God. And that sounds like a big statement, but we've seen this to be true. This happened for friends of mine, so many, that when they've had this idea of, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Have you ever been there or know anybody who said that? I love Jesus, but I hate the church. It may sound good, but it is a very destructive statement, and it's a statement and a tactic that the enemy uses to separate us from the body of Christ. When we do that, it becomes catastrophic in our lives. Barna came out with a study entitled, Love Jesus But Not the Church, identifying those who say we love Jesus but not the church, and going in and studying what happens to people who say that. In his study, George Barna found out that only 18% of those who say they love Jesus but not the church actually share their faith. And the reason why this is so important is because we share what we love. When we love something, when we love somebody, we can't wait to talk about it, can we? Whether it's food or sport or hiking, whatever it is, what we love, we talk about. So when Jesus is not in our language, when Jesus is not in our conversation, it shows that there's a separation somewhere, there's something going on. He also found out in that study that those who say they love Jesus but not not the church, only 26% of those claim to read the Bible. Is the Bible important? Vitally important. And that's compared to to 82% of those who regularly say that they go to church. This is vitally important because the Word of God is what? It's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. We read it, we study it, we say, God, what would you say to me? He said, I wrote you a bunch of letters. I gave you this word of God to show you where to go. I spend time in this every day because I need it. How many of you need the word of God in your life? I need it, okay? This is, if you're new here this morning, you think you're hearing a sermon, you're really hearing Pastor Dwayne's confessional time, okay? (laughs) This is where I talk about the things that I need and the places where I've learned to overcome as I walk with God. And this is a big part of it. 
I need his word in me. It brings life to me. George Barna also discovered in this study that those who say they love Jesus but not the church, and again, when I say that, I don't say that with judgment. I say that with understanding because any family can be tough at times. Can it not? Have you ever gone to family and you're like, man, this is tough. These people dare to disagree with me at times. I don't know what's going on. It can be tough. So I'm not saying it's not tough. I'm not saying it's not difficult. I'm not saying there's not dysfunction, okay? There's times that we've experienced dysfunction, and there's times that we've caused dysfunction. But we work through it in family. It's only in family where someone can say, Dwayne, you're walking down a path that's causing dysfunction. you got to knock it off. you got to figure this out. you got to follow Jesus in this. Because if not, it ends up affecting our walk with God. Because how can we love God if we can't love others? Those two work together. We love God, and because we love God, we love others because we're all his children. You're all masterpieces. I have the greatest view this morning. You're all his children that he made. So these are things we need to work on. So team is important. And then I ended the sermon by inviting you to join the team, to join the team, to be a part. Because see, Jesus is not just after fans. He's not just after, after men and women that will say, way to go, Jesus, you're a good person, you're a good God. I will cheer for you. no. He's saying, I want you to join. I want you to commit. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to move from the stands where you cheer to being on the field playing and see how I will use you, how I will flow in your life. It's a call to follow him and a command to love. We see this throughout Matthew. Jesus called us to be his disciples, and he commands us to love God and to love others and that those two are attached to each other. So join the team. Be committed. And my prayer today is that we walk through that you'll see the importance of it, and that you will commit. You will join. You'll say, yes, God, speak to me. Your servant is listening. Amen? So that's what we talked about last week. So last week was a team meeting. This week now we're talking about the climb. Who's excited to climb? Got a few people. See, last year, last week I said, who wants to climb Mount Rainier with me? And all of you raised your hand, so I've already booked that trip. This week we're talking about how do we do it? How do we make this climb? And to do that, we're going to look at a couple of key scriptures. One is in Matthew 16. And in Matthew 16, Jesus said this to his disciples. And I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what you... And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And then quickly jump to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse verse 17, it says this. It says, Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And here's the key part I want you to focus in on today. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new desires, that new self, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Amen? So today as we prepare for this climb, we're going to talk about three key things that I I, I want to dig deep into today. There's a lot of things we could talk about the climb, but three things I want to pull out is, one, the guide. We have a leader. It's important. If you're going to climb the mountain in front of you, you need to recognize there's a leader that we need to follow. Secondly, there's your backpack. We're going to talk about the importance of your backpack, and more importantly, what's in it. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about the path. How do we climb up this mountain? What does that path look like? So it's the guide, it's the backpack, and the path. How many are ready? You ready? So Father, we thank you 
for your love. And because you loved us, you gave us your word to show us the way. And Lord, your love continued as you have pulled us together as the body of Christ, which you lead. Jesus is the head of this church. So Lord, open our hearts, prepare our hearts and our minds now to hear and to receive from you, to hear what you would say. So Lord, anoint my words today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My God, my rock, my redeemer. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. So let's get going. So first of all, if you're going to climb a mountain, you're going to follow a guide. When I did Mount Kilimanjaro back in January of 2011, the guide was very important. I watched the guide all the time. See, every team has a leader. And in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that Christ is the head of the church. Who's our leader? Christ. Okay, ask any five-year-old. Jesus, right? Jesus. And it says that he has gifted some for leadership to equip the church, his body, that's all of us, to equip believers for the work of of the ministry, and to build them up. See, a team cannot function without a leader. A leader comes in and gives direction, and there's no unity without a leader. If you want to reach the summit, if you want to climb the mountain, you need to be unified around a leader in this. This is why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Earlier in the passage, we talked about how he's given some to be leaders and he's he's equipped leaders to help equip the body, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the call that God has on us. Leadership is very important, isn't it? The Seahawks are going to discover today how important leadership is. (laughs) Right? They have an amazing coach. What's the coach's name? Pete Carroll. I was going to ask Keith, but you know. Okay. (laughs) Right? Pete Carroll, the coach of the Seahawks, it is so important that as the Seahawks take the field today that they walk out there having confidence in who their leader is, Pete Carroll. What's going to happen if they choose to ignore him? They're going to have massive problems. See, as the Seahawks take the field today, they're not going to be listening to all the armchair quarterbacks, that's all of you, that's going to question everything that's going to happen. If they did that, there'd be no unity. They would fall apart and they would have the worst season ever. They're not looking to Twitter for your comments. They're not going to Facebook to see what you think. They're looking to Pete Carroll. And Pete Carroll has his leaders out on the field. He has Russell Wilson. And because it's not hockey, the analogy breaks down after that for me, okay? (laughs) But he has other leaders going on. (laughs) This is confession time. (laughs) Leadership is very important. But it's also important to recognize that following Christ as it comes to climbing that mountain... There are two things that are required of us, and that's humility and surrender. Say that together. Humility and surrender. These two things are vital. And being humble and humbly submitting ourselves is the greatest challenge. And Jesus said this in Matthew 16, where he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. How tough is that? And then take up your cross and follow me. And then he says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will what? You will lose it. You try to hang on to it, you're going to lose it. See, many agree with the ideology of who Jesus is. Many love the grace that he affords, the love that he gives. Who wouldn't love Jesus? Even earlier as we talked about, there are many people that say, you love Jesus? Sure, why not? He's a grace-filled guy who walked on water. He fed the 5,000. Why wouldn't I want to associate with something like that? But our call is not to just agree with Jesus. Our call is to surrender and to follow him. And this is what Eugene Peterson describes as being very difficult. Eugene Peterson says it this way. He says, it is not difficult to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terribly difficult to sustain the entrance. That's why there is a dreadful attrition rate. Because at the point that Jesus comes in and starts leading our life, that's when people fall off. Because it takes humility and surrender. But that's why for us this morning that we need to refix our eyes. Because climbing the mountain requires that we have confidence in our guide. Climbing the mountain recognizes that we look to Jesus and we say, I have confidence in you. 
I believe you. I know you. I will surrender myself. Now, how can we have this confidence? We can have this confidence in Christ because the guy, going back to the climbing analogy, has been there. Jesus came and he suffered and he died for us and he rose again from the dead. He's been there. He's been where we are going and he knows what it takes to get there. And not only that, our guide is committed to getting us there. Our guide is committed to getting me, to getting you there. And as we look at this analogy even further of the guide, the guide always has resources that we don't know about. Have you ever found that where you're following somebody and you start getting worried and you find yourself to a trap and you go, how are we going to get out of here? And all of a sudden the guide or the leader pulls out, here's how, and you're going, I never even thought of that. I never even knew that. And it's like, well, that's why you're not guiding this trip. That's why he or she is guiding this trip. See, guides, they're connected to this whole other network and community of guides where they've been down this road, they've climbed that mountain, they've seen things come up. So when things come up, they're not a surprise. They know what's going on. This happened to me all the time on Kilimanjaro with, with the guide. So much to the point where I would watch where he would step, and I'd start stepping where he stepped. So I'm like, this guy's good. He knows what's going on. See, we need to have confidence because ignoring our guide ends up in disaster. When we ignore the guide, it is disastrous. And it's, the disaster is not just limited to ourselves. When we ignore the guide, it's not just bad for the individual, but the entire team is at risk. Have you ever experienced that? Where you've been together as a team, and there's a team member that starts ignoring the guide or rejecting the guide or speaking against the guide, and now the whole team begins to suffer. See, this analogy plays out in our spiritual life, in the business world, in every world, in a family, wherever you are. Because, see, no person is an island, are we? Everything that we do affects those around us. And when we reject the guide, things like division starts to come in. Or the team now has to stop what it was doing and try to rescue somebody who is caught up in this. And the team is committed to doing it, but there's a cost to it. See, the efforts of the entire team are hindered, and the summit attempt is even jeopardized when someone ignores the guide. And you read about these stories in all the mountain climbing books, all the mountain climbing movies that you see. When someone rejects the guide, it even costs some people their life. So see, if we're going to conquer the mountain that's in front of us, we need to commit to following the leader. And who's our leader? Jesus. We need to commit to that, to following. So that brings us now from following the guide to what the guide does, and the guide always prepares us. So this brings us to the prep part of what we're doing. You ready to get prepared this morning? You ready? This is the prep. And one of the biggest things that stood out to me in Mount Kilimanjaro was not all the physical work that we had to do to, to kind of train, to get ready for it, but one of the biggest things that stood out to me was the backpack meeting. You all know what a backpack is? Okay. This looks like Maria's backpack over here. <laughs> this is a backpack. And the guy came in and took our backpack, and he said, I want you to bring this backpack that's only supposed to have in it what I told you to have in it. He gave us this big list that was sent out months in advance, and I went through a whole process of getting the gear, talking to friends of mine. He said, now bring your backpack that's supposed to be prepared the way I told you to prepare it, and I want you to bring it to the meeting. And so we brought it to the meeting. And he said, now take your backpack, and I want you to shake it out, empty it out, and put it on the floor in front of you, and I'm going to start walking around. And the guy next to me was like, well, this is a waste of time. <laughs> See, the backpack is very important. Because before we started, he knew that if you didn't pack right, that you may not get to summit. You may not get to summit. And the reality is, as he began going around... I never heard him say, oh, you're missing this piece, or you didn't put this piece in here. Do you know what he often said? Get rid of that. You got way too much. That's not on the list. You've got to get rid of it. One of the things was a, a friend of mine, fellow pastor from the area that we were, she had a makeup kit in her backpack. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy began to talk about how much... By day two, you're not going to care if you have makeup on or not. And then he brought the reality of day four, 
He said, you recognize that as we go on this trail that you've got to use the bathroom along the way, right? All those things are still in operation for our lives. She said, yes, sorry, this is, okay, the part of the trail you may not be aware of. He said, when we get up to day four, there aren't even any trees to hide behind to go to the bathroom. Do you think you're going to be worrying about makeup? There's a reality that kicks in. One of the things that I brought on my backpack, and I convinced the guy to let me take it, was this book that had just come out. It's called Bonhoeffer, Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy. Great book, amazing book. Do you know how much I read of this book on Kilimanjaro? I read, I read the, the cover. <laughs> See, I had this image that as I go up this mountain and I was reading down through it, how long it would take and the things that would happen, I had this image of me every night sitting around a campfire, just me and Eric just going through this book and looking at this hero of the faith. But since I'd never climbed a mountain like that before, I didn't realize how exhausted I would be. I didn't realize what it would take to get there. And so this book has been all the way to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and back. Never opened. <laughs> Never used. But it's an example of so many times we carry things that we just don't need. And it was hard. You think it's heavy here? It's a lot heavier at 18,000 feet and on up. When you can't breathe. I almost threw it away several times. But I love you, Bonhoeffer, so I kept it. Okay? <laughs> the pack is so important. That's why spiritually Paul talks about putting off the old self. That when we come to Christ, what are we doing? We're taking our backpack and we're emptying it out and said, I'm taking off the old life. And I'm saying, Jesus, what would you have me carry around? What would you have me do? Who would you have me be? Because what did Jesus say? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is, my burden is heavy. My burden is comfortable cumbersome. My burden is often filled with useless things that I've put so much importance in that I've paid for. But Jesus is saying, my burden is light. You've got to be willing to let go. See, a failure for us to let go, it reveals in what we're trusting in. Because falling hurts. How many of you have ever fallen? How many of you have ever got yourself in a situation where you're hurting and it's just hard? And you begin to reach for all these things to try to medicate yourself or things that you want to put down on, on the ground to help break your fall. And Jesus is saying, get rid of it all. You've got me now. When you fall, I'm going to be there. When you don't know what to do, I'm going to be there. You don't need all this stuff. Put off the old, take on the new. Be renewed in the likeness of God. Because if we fail to do that, a heavy pack is going to keep us from the summit. Most people fail because they take their backpack and they fill it with so many things and they don't recognize the journey that is ahead of them. It takes a light backpack. Do you know who the new backpacker is in your team? It's the one with the biggest pack filled with the most gear and it's all hanging off them as they clang their way up, up, up the path. What happens? They become exhausted. They back out. They're not having a good time. You can have all the vistas in the world. You can see all these amazing creations of God along the way. But instead of en enjoying them, they're exhausted. And now they've got all this stuff on the mountain that they've got to decide, am I going to keep it or throw it away? See, a heavy backpack will stop you. Even Jesus, one of the seven woes of the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23 that Jesus talks about is that they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and they lay them on people's shoulders. Jesus spoke against this. He's like, look, lighten your load. It's going to be okay. I'll give you everything that you need. And as it relates to following Christ, that's what we need to be willing to do. It's not binding people up. It's not all this legalism. It's saying, Jesus, tell me what to do. You put leaders in my life. You brought pastors into my life. Not to bring burdens, but to lighten the load and say, follow Jesus. Walk with him. See, when Jesus was talking about the burden light, he was using backpacking language to me. I read that as a backpacker. And I recognize that now the lighter the pack, the easier the climb. Because when I'm walking easy, what am I doing? I'm talking to people next to me. Now I'm freer to help somebody next to me. 
And there was a person next to me that even though their pack was there, they were struggling, and at times we would help them carry their pack. I, I couldn't do that if I was burdened down. We need to lighten our pack, and that's often the biggest struggle that we have. But I believe that Jesus is speaking to us today, and he's saying, empty your pack. Put off the old, take on the new. And to do that, we need family, we need team, we need people to walk around us to help us empty the pack and get it right. Because life is going to fill it with so much stuff. That's why we have amazing ministries like Celebrate Recovery. How many of you have heard of Celebrate Recovery? Yeah, woo! Yeah! These are ministries that help you walk with people who have been there and they're walking through it to empty your pack and lighten your load. And I'd like to introduce one of our amazing directors who uh, I just love his commitment and his love for Christ. Would you welcome Robert Brown up here this morning? I'm a hugger, dude. <laughs> and I've asked Robert just, just to come up. As I thought about this series, I began to think about ministries like this. And we're going to highlight another one next week. And I just asked Robert if he would just come up and help me this morning by sharing his testimony. So, Robert? All right. Good morning. It's my privilege and my honor to share a little bit of what's in my spiritual backpack. And here's a, here's a chance for audience response, so I'm going to test if you've had your Wheaties and your coffee this morning. I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ celebrating victory over chemical dependency, escapism, lust, and gluttony, who struggles with resentment, pride, and laziness. My name is Robert. I, have you guys been to a meeting? Maybe you have. I'm the oldest of four children, born and raised here in the Pacific Northwest, my parents were young, and my father was an alcoholic who did not provide for our family. I remember my mother telling me we were so hungry for food at one point, she was sifting through the garbage in order to get dinner that night. My mother fled our father with us when I was age four, and we drifted from place to place where the adult environment was drugs, parties, sexual promiscuity. Due to this lifestyle, I believe that shame was an early feeling I lived with, but I wasn't mature enough to call it what it was. I was probably seven years old when my mother allowed me to try marijuana for the first time. And by the time I was in the sixth grade, I was smoking pot every moment I could. My freshman year in high school was another first with a psychedelic drug. Again with my mother, this was one of the darkest years I remember in our family. My mother turning to hard alcohol abuse, inviting addicts into our home where there was no father figure. Spotted on the timeline of my life were times we weren't with my mother, staying with extended family, in receiving homes, in foster homes, always returning to her after one of our numerous times in treatment centers. My first wife and I married when we were just 20 years old. Before long, she threatened to split up if I didn't quit using. I broke down, wretched and ashamed, tired of addiction's hold on me, embraced the 12-step secular recovery program, initials NA, my first real clean and sober date, October 28, 1988. I was, an I was active in my 12-step program for about seven years before I stopped attending meetings. I had become complacent in my tool belt, or backpack, uh, belt of knowledge regarding how to stay clean. But I'd really just traded one addiction for another, indulging in my music, video games, and fantasies until my first wife had had enough and left. Not long after, I relapsed. Soon after I started using again, I met Trish. We, we live, yeah, let's hear it for my wife. She lived 317.4 miles away in North Idaho, so we were a long-distance couple for the first four years. I continued to use and was laid off my job, ran through unemployment checks, and barely managed to sell my townhome before being foreclosed on. I remember telling Trish jokingly, watch out, I'll make a codependent out of you. Turns out that's exactly what I did. The slow spiral of my relapse took us both down a dark path I'd been down before and lasted through the years we dated and into the first year of our marriage in 2007. Nine months into our marriage, Trish presented me with an ultimatum that we couldn't live together if I kept using and lying. Then, by God's perfect plan, 
we found ourselves in church one Sunday, February 24th, 2008, for what turned out to be Freedom from Addiction Sunday. It was a nail-your-sin-upon-the-cross event. With desperate tears, Trish encouraged me to scrawl my addiction on a piece of paper and go pin it on the cross at the, at the front of the church. At first, with hardened heart, I stubbornly refused. But as I sat there, I saw that God was providing me with the lifeline I so desperately needed. As if wading through deep snow, I made it to the front of the church and nailed my sin to the cross, giving it to God. I've been clean and sober since that day. Thank you very much. That means a lot. I, en- I entered intensive outpatient treatment and re-engaged in my old secular 12-step program. My wife and I began to delve into God's Word together and found a church to call our own, SCC. <laughs> we joined a couple's growth group, Bible study, served in the children's ministry and music worship. Christ was truly at the center of our marriage for the first time. I was finally scooting out of the driver's seat and letting God drive. One Sunday at church about three years ago, a message flashed on the screen during the SEC news about a new men's step study happening. Trish nudged and pointed and said, did you see that? A ministry called Celebrate Recovery. I reached out for more information, was able to join the step study. I found a sponsor and began attending general group meetings, which were much like my NA meetings, but I could be united with Christian brothers and sisters in the same higher power, God, guiding our recovery using the 12 steps, coupled with the spiritual principles of our Savior's Beatitudes, so familiar and yet infinitely superior in a host of ways. I used CR to dig deep into underlying root causes and character flaws, which is an ongoing exercise. God's word says, search me, O God, and know my heart, test my thoughts, point out anything you find in me that makes you sad, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Today, I have an ever-growing relationship with God, my wife, in-laws, outlaws, stepkids, my son, grandkids, and my community. With God's strength, I strive to live out Christian principles, sober principles in every aspect of my life. Since getting involved in Celebrate Recovery, I have held numerous leadership roles, and God has led Trisha and I to help launch CR here at SCC. It's sometimes a lot of work, but service positions help us give back an overflow of our Christian cup and a life as a follower of Christ that is based on action, not empty words and good intentions. For the second and last time, I earned a 10-year coin from chemical dependency on February 24th this year. Thank you. I wouldn't take anything back that I've been through. We commonly hear that God doesn't waste a hurt, and I feel that I am a living witness to this truth. God has turned a mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into a triumph, a victim into victory. God's plan is perfect. I've discovered that I will attain and maintain additional clean and sober dates as God uses Celebrate Recovery to reach into every part of my being. With God's help, I am increasingly yielding myself to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words, through service, and by encouraging those who need freedom from hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and by sharing my story. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Stay here. <laughs> That was the best sermon I ever heard. (laughs) So, Robert, is there, um, who is welcome at Celebrate Recovery? Test. Do you have sin in your life? You're welcome to come to our (laughs) meeting. It's in 204, right behind my left shoulder right here every Wednesdays, 6 to 8. And, um, you know, there's wonderful programs here at SCC. You heard it earlier. Every night of the week now. Is that wonderful? I think that's wonderful. So we're one of those meetings. We're one of those groups that is helping everybody. And whether or not you're there for someone else because you don't have issues, that tends to change as you come to a few meetings. Or whether or not it's for yourself and you're boldly recognizing in a safe environment, a safe team, big on anonymity, where you get to come in, no masks, no judgments, 
and you come in and work on whatever your struggle is, whatever your sin is. We're, we're one of those tools. We're, we're one of those backpacks. And it's, it's our honor to be a part of the solution and to be closer to Christ. Amen. Thank you. It's, yeah. So Celebrate Recovery is for those who have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. So who has a hurt or a hang-up? Hurts, habits, or hang-ups? That's all of us, right? If you don't, please come talk to me. I'd like to talk to you and figure out how you did that. But it's, we, it, this is not a group for them. This, this is a group for us. This is our family. This is our DNA. This is, an answer, this is part of the answer. When I became pastor, I was like, God, how do we walk with people? How do we, you called us to make discipleships, and you said it was easy. How do we walk with each other? Because sometimes that can be complicated in our complicated life and in our backpack filled with stuff. And this is part of the answer. It's not the only answer. There's so many groups, so many ways, so many things happening. But I'm so thankful that we have this. This is not a program that we do. This is us being obedient to Christ and God bringing it. So, Robert, thank you. And thank you, Trish, who leads this group along with him. So thank you guys so much. Thank you for sharing your testimony today. You know, I, I, I loved how Robert kind of identified that whole aspect of walking in and walking along with each other. Because that brings us to the final point that I want to talk about today, which is the path. See, when we talk about the path and how we walk with each other, for most of us, we want to have a shortcut. But this often frustrated the disciples because when the disciples followed Jesus, they wanted Jesus to get there as quick as possible, just tell us what to do and tell us to get there. But they were often frustrated by Jesus' pace. Have you ever been frustrated by Jesus' pace and the way that he walks you through things, or is it just me confessing this morning? Okay. We're all disciples, but they were frustrated. They were frustrated when people brought children to Jesus to be prayed for. Now, to us in our culture, we have this high respect and this high uh, value of children, but that's not the way it was back then. The disciples saw the children as getting in the way of his ministry, getting in the way of what Jesus was supposed to be doing. But what did Jesus say? He said, no, stop everything. Bring them here. I want to pray for them. I want to love these children. They were frustrated by the woman at the well that Jesus took time to spend with, the Samaritan woman. They were frustrated by Jesus when he was slow in getting to Lazarus. And it was even said, if you had been here, Jesus, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And he's like, I'm still Jesus. I'm still Jesus. I know how to walk this through. So many were frustrated when he went to Matthew's house. And he hung out with skeptics and sinners. And he was even called the friends of sinners. But see, any time that there's work to be done, any time that you're driving down this road and you see a sign that says road work ahead, what does that mean for you as a driver? Slow down. What does yellow light mean? Slow down. Okay. Teenage drivers, what does a yellow light mean? (laughs) You're my next point, right? Slow down. See, this brought us to the biggest thing that I, I, heard on, I heard on the mountain going up Kilimanjaro was I would often hear pole, pole. Everyone say pole, pole. Pole, pole. That's Swahili for slowly, slowly walk down because, see, Jesus is not going to drag you on this discipleship mission. Jesus doesn't go out and grab somebody and just drag them and say, I'm making you a disciple whether you want it or not. How many of you enjoy that discipleship process? That is not the way of a disciple. Jesus' way is he slows it down. Jesus is not in a hurry, and Dallas Willard even describes Jesus as relaxed. Have you ever heard anybody describe Jesus that way? Jesus is relaxed. How many enjoy following a relaxed leader? You want to follow that leader that's uptight and is just cracking things and going, man, you got to do more, you got to be more, you got to be better. Jesus is relaxed. And I love that. As soon as I read that, it resonated with me. John Orberg, who, was, who followed Dallas Willard in his teachings, who was mentored by Dallas Willard, says it this way. He says that hurry is not a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. You hear that this morning? Hurry is not just a disordered schedule. How many of you hurry? Right? John Ortberg, it's Alan Fadling. Alan Fadling uh, quotes John Ortberg in this book that we walked through this past summer in one of our groups. 
But it's actually the John Oprah who says that hurried is a disordered heart. See, this is how we want to walk forward. But see, discipleship is a relationship. No one's going to force you into it. No one's going to drag you into it. I've never dragged anybody up a mountain. If I had to drag somebody up the mountain, I'm like, you know, maybe you should just stay here. I'll see you on the way back. Maybe you should just drop your pack here and just walk with me and try it out. Dragging doesn't work. It's going to hurt the, the person being dragged, and it's going to hurt the person who's dragging them. You ever, you ever been there? Try dragging your kids. It doesn't work. No one's happy in that scenario. And this is how it is with discipleships, because as discipleships, we sign up for it. We commit to it. That's why back in the day they had this whole thing, may the dust of the rabbi be on you. Because it was an honor to be discipled by a rabbi. If you got to be discipled, you were to be in there so close that the dust from their sandals was on you. And what a picture of Jesus. That when we follow Jesus, we want to be so close to Jesus that it's just rubbing off on us. It's just flowing over on us. Jesus, where are you? I want to be there. Jesus, what would you say? I want to say it. Jesus, what would you do? I want to do it. That's what a disciple is. It's the one who follows who is there. But see, for us, when we think about that path to discipleship, we want to get there the quickest way. We want discipleship to look something like this. Don't we? There's the mountaintop. I'm at the base. I'm going to go straight up. How many of you have ever tried that before? Is that working for you? See, it seems faster and it seems easier, but it's actually more dangerous and you will not make it. Nobody climbs a mountain that way. You will get wore out. You will find things that you can't get around. See, the path of discipleship, and how we climb the mountain looks more like this. It's side to side. You know what that's called? Switchbacks. Man, we are going to climb Mount Rainier. (laughs) It's switchbacks. It's back and forth. And as we looked at as this team of most of us non-professionals, non-trained mountain climbers, going up to Mount Kilimanjaro just below 20,000 feet, which is the death zone, meaning that once you pass 20,000 feet, you actually start dying unless you get back down because the oxygen is so thin, because the air is so thin. So what the guides do, they brought us up the mountain this way. They would bring us over to the side and then over this side where we're slowly going up over several days so that we can acclimatize to what's going on in the area so that our bodies can actually adjust to what's going on. And sometimes they bring us up a little bit higher and we would have lunch up there and then we would come back down and sleep for the night. Because, see, you acclimatize when you rest. Did you know that? You push your body to the limits and then you come down and you rest and you allow your body just to soak in that and to adjust and to get used to it. It's in rest. Why? Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So you're going to have some stress, but then there's going to be some rest so you can get used to it. You can grow in it. It's the stress and recovery. Because we know that a change in altitude means a change in environment. When we started Mount Kilimanjaro, we started off in the jungle where we just had shorts and a t-shirt and we were sweating with a hat and there were monkeys around and we were like, look at that, that's beautiful, it's amazing. But the further up we got, did it get warmer or colder? Colder. Okay. Now Canadians like cold, but just so much. We went from at the bottom where our water was warm to where when we got up the top, we were having to deal with dehydration issues because our water kept freezing on us. We couldn't get water. As you go up as well, the path becomes less and less marked. See, at the bottom, there's a lot of people walking around. At the bottom, there's people walking this path. So it's very, very clear. Yep, there's the path I go. But the further that you get up, whether it's Mount Kilimanjaro, Mount Jaro, or even hiking around Mount Rainier, I've gone to places around the base of Mount Rainier and some of the side hikes where the higher you go up those ridges, you get up there and there is no path unless you know the markers or unless you know the map, or unless you know where you're going. And then the clouds come in up there, and you can't even see the the ground in front of you. It changes as you go up. Breathing becomes more difficult as you climb up. And it's all these hard things. So why would you want to climb? You're like, well, it's colder, you can't see things, and it's hard to breathe. Why do you go up? 
It's the view. <laughs> it's the satisfaction of you getting up and you're going, wow, look at this. This is amazing. I climbed the mountain. I did it. And you have the team around you and you're celebrating with them and you're seeing it and there's nothing like it. It makes everything else worth it. You're stronger because of it. And it also brings a truth because when I got up on the summit, I heard the words of my guide echoing in my mind. Know what he said? My guide said, all of you will make it if you follow me. He said, all of you will make it if you follow me. And when he was looking out, there were some pretty qualified people in the room. There was a professional triathlete in the room. Ask me if I felt very secure in that moment, okay? A professional athlete. There were teenagers in the room. But then there were also people in their 70s that were like, I really haven't hiked very much. I really haven't done very much. And every age in between. But for me, as I look at it, all the ages present, I think about what an amazing model for who we are here at Shoreline Community Church. Because one of my core values is that we are multi-generational. We don't just do one generation, but we lean into everybody. It's every age, everybody together. Why? Because as family, we need everybody. We need the younger people. We need the younger people who are here and they're ready to go and they're anxious. They have all these ideas. They have all these dreams. They have these new ways of doing it that we need to think about and be connected. But we also need those who've gone before us. They've got the maturity. They've got the stability. They know how to make these ideas work and to make them stick. We need everybody. When I need advice, I often go to some of the saints here and some of those who have gone before me. I go to pastors. I met with Pastor Bob just this back week and said, hey, I've got this thing I'm working through. Can you help me? Because you've been there. You know what's going on. And was it amazing? Yes, it was amazing. But we need everybody, every age. And what I loved about it is that as we went up, one of the things that I saw was that I saw that the young and the old going up at the same pace because, see, the younger members, they needed to be paced by some of the older members. Remember pole, pole? What does that mean? Slowly. As we were heading up the mountain, I tried to get as close to the guide all the time just because he was, just, he was super cool. So I, I stood next to him, and there was this young guy who he was always going ahead, or he was jumping around, he was going to rocks, he was jumping up on rocks, getting a picture, getting a video, doing all these things. And I looked at the guy, and the, and the guide went, that guy's not going to make it. Well, what do you mean he's not going to make it? He's younger, he's fit, he's better. Did you see the gear? He has, man, his boots are like 500 bucks. You know, they're, they're, he's got all the gear. He's like, he's not going to make it because he's not acclimatizing. He's going too fast. He's jumping around. He's trying to show how strong he is. He's trying to show how fast he is. He's trying to impress everybody. Now, he was somebody from an, a different group that was kind of going, going along, but we kept seeing him go and go. He's like, he's not going to make it. And I'll never forget on summit day. Summit day, the hardest day. We're talking about it next week. But as my headlamp, we, we, we started out at 1 in the morning. And as we got several hours into it, I, my headlamp looked up and I saw two porters carrying this guy. He looked like he was intoxicated. And that was the look of somebody who was going through cerebral and pulmonary edema. He hadn't allowed his body to acclimate to it. And now he was suffering the response. Younger than me, stronger than me. By all bets, everyone say, if it's Pastor Duane or that guy, that guy's going to make it. But he didn't follow the pace, and he burned out. How true is that in our spiritual life? It's not about showing how strong you are. It's showing how surrendered you are. Jesus' strength is perfected in what? Our weakness. So when you follow the pace of those who've been there, you make it. And here's the other cool thing. There was this lady in her 70s, and she had such a heart for Africa, she'd given just thousands and thousands of dollars towards water wells and towards humanitarian efforts and missionary efforts at the continent. She's like, I want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And the guy's like, I'll get you there. And I'll never forget at one point, there was a point where we had to climb this cliff up. And it wasn't like super complicated, but it was, you know, you're scrambling a little bit. And I was behind, and this lady is up there, and she's stuck like this. And we're all below her looking up. <laughs> and the guides are around her trying to be respectful, you know, and they didn't want to touch her or do anything. And finally she just yelled out, just push me! Grab what you got to grab and push me! Just put it up there. 
And so these young porters went in. They went, all right. They just kind of kept pushing. And she was like, thank you. You got me up there. She had to be willing to let go of any pride she had and allow these young team members to come in and just push her, and she made it. Guess who I saw on the summit? I saw this 70-year-old lady who had never ventured this before up there just going, just celebrating, tears in her eyes. I saw young team members up there, and they're all celebrating together of what was happening, what was going on. This is the value of team. This is the value of a multi-generational group coming together. Do you know who everyone loved in that group? This wonderful 70-year-old lady. Do you know who inspired everybody in this group? This wonderful 70-year-old lady saying, just push me. Just push me. That's our call as we climb together. God's calling us to be together, to love together to take our backpack and say, empty it out. And my call to you today is to ask the Lord, invite the Holy Spirit to say, search my heart, search my backpack, God. What needs to come out of that today? Is it pride? Is it jealousy? Is it envy? Are there things that I'm leaning into, things I'm addicted to? Is there judgment? Is there any root of bitterness, anything that offends you? That you're saying, today's it to shake it out. Just shake it out. Amen. Let's just all stand together. Lord, we recognize the work of your Holy Spirit in this place today. Move through our hearts. Lord, you've called us to climb the mountain, and you've called us to climb it together following you. The head of the body, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Show us Right now, I pray in these moments where we need to humbly submit and surrender to you. Show us what needs to be taken out of that backpack. Show us the areas of our lives where we are hurt. Those hurts and those habits and those hang-ups that we're, we're having a hard time letting go of them. Help us today to let go and to let God. To take off the old and to put on that new life in Christ, I pray. team, let me invite you, don't take this moment lightly. I believe God wants to do a work in your life right now if you would allow him. I believe if you would go to our prayer team members who are already on the way or on the sides, if you would just go and step out and just pray and say, God, help me in this. And be vulnerable and humble yourself and say, please pray for me. Gather with your family around the communion tables. We have these communion tables. And say, Lord, as this bread was broken, I know it was broken for me for my healing. Do your healing in me today. Let's allow the Lord to prepare us. There's a mountain in front of us to climb. There's a mountain in your home to climb. There's a mountain at work. There's a mountain in the city. Say, Lord, prepare me, whatever it takes. Is that your heart today? Just lift your hands and surrender. And just, if that's your heart, say, Lord, whatever it takes, do your work. Just do that. Just begin to verbalize that as we take some time to respond together. Let's respond to the call of the Lord. Let's receive his invitation and let's move. Let's pray with each other. Let's receive from our guide, our leader, our Savior, Jesus Christ.